All right. I didn't wear my regular glasses, so I am going to do, be doing the put on and put off method this morning, right? <laughs> so we're going to have a good time. It's much, I turned 50 and my eyes went south real fast. It's like I've doubled, my, my prescription has doubled in the last like three months alone. It's like my, my, my long, like my ability to see, like I can see more people up in the balcony now. Uh, sorry, but <laughs> I notice everything. I can see better longer now, but I can't see uh, shorter. That's like going away fast. So I'm getting blind close. But uh, it's good to be back with all of you all, with all of our travels and all the missionaries and all the good things. We've, we've been studying discipleship and the things that surround discipleship, and it's been a real exciting opportunity because we want to really to become a discipling church. We want you to be disciples, not only being discipled, but also to disciple others. We don't want you just to sit there every day. Some of you, uh, it'll be a great joy. Some of you have, um, God is calling you and has been encouraging you to intentionally disciple others, where, whether that's around helping them through problems um, and you take it upon yourself. You see people that are struggling. You're like, I want to help you. And we want you to be equipped to do that. And some of you just, it's not natural. You know, are, are gearing towards spending time with people. But we want you to do that. We want you to be taking God's word and with you every day of the week and encouraging one another. And that's, we're called to do that. All of us are called to be disciplers, helping others learn about Christ. And that's, that's really our joy. And in, in that process, we ask the simple question is, do you believe that people can change? And if you ask that question, most people would say, well, yeah, I believe people can change. Problem is, is do, do, you know, when we see people change, do they really fully change or do they just change an outer garment, Right? Many times we, you know, when you have a spot, a tear, a rip, or you have, you know, especially when you work out on a farm, you step in something, and so you, you need to clean it, and you wash it off, and you change your clothes, right? There's a rule of thumb in our house. Boots off at the door, because, you know, we step in everything out, out when we're working and doing chores. Boots off at the door, and put your boots away, and as soon as you come in from doing your chores, change your clothes, Right? You don't wake up in the morning and put on your clothes for the day. You put, on your, you put on a certain set of clothes. Go out and do the chores. Come back, take off. And you got this put on and put off. And we're discipling our kids to take off and put on the right clothes and not to wear them because mom doesn't like, you know, yucky things smeared all over the house. That's not a good thing, right? And we don't want to make mom's job harder, which now we've just decided that if you make mom's job harder, your job is to make mom's life easier by cleaning up your mess. So we're doing all of this over and over and over again, trying to disciple our kids to be helpers. But 
We get into that in church all the time, believing, oh yeah, I can change, and we're just going to change our clothes, and now it's time to go to church, we're going to put on a new set of clothes, we don't want anybody to see what I've stepped in all week, and we, you know, but, and we don't, heaven forbid, anybody really knows my heart. We do that a lot, and we believe people can change, and I don't want really to, you to answer that question, do you believe people can change? I want to ask you the question, do you believe that you can change? You know your heart, and we know our heart, and, and you don't know my heart as well as my wife knows my heart in the way that some of the other leaders know my heart that spend a lot of time with me. There are people that know my heart better. My mom knows my heart really well, uh, or you know, sometimes she may not, so she calls and asks, right? Uh, and here's the thing is this, do you believe that those things deep down in your heart that are, you're struggling with, that you carry around with you every day, do you believe that you can change? Do you believe that you have a hope for victory, that you have a hope for freedom from the things and the pressures in your life? Or are you carrying them around, feeling the weight and the burden of those things every day, day in and day out? Maybe you've pushed them down deeper into your life, down into that central part of your life, which the Bible calls your heart your soul, and you're carrying those burdens, and, and you're struggling with peace, or you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with stresses and things, which not all stress is bad, but we make it bad by carrying things that we shouldn't be carrying. I'm not talking about you looking at other people's problems, but do you believe that you can actually change? You know, if you look and read through the New Testament haven't you noticed many times when Jesus would go in and, and go and says, you know, do you believe you can be healed? He asks that question many times. When he's healing somebody, he says, do you want to be healed? And, I mean, isn't that a silly question? Who in their right mind would say, no, I don't want to be healed? Right? It's like, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, Jesus comes and says, you know, do you want a new back? Yes, I want a new back, <laughs> right? And many of you know, uh, I know out there would love a new back as well. Many of you have other issues, you know, like, yes, I want a new body. I can't wait to be in heaven worshiping God and there be worshiping God with no aches and pains, right? That'd be amazing. And many times people, you know, Jesus asks that question, do you want to be healed, But here's the thing. How many times did people or do we ask and say, well, I'm really not that bad. My problems aren't really that bad. I don't need to be healed. I'm not really doing anything that bad or, or my problem really isn't that bad. You know, and, and, and whatever the, whatever's going on in our life, in our church, in our society, we make, sometimes we downplay things. Or sometimes we make it bigger than it really is, right? We can do that too. But here's the thing is, is there is hope for change. What is that hope and how do we change? And are you really trusting Christ for that change? Those are all great questions that I want you to think about as we go through the message this morning. 
And in doing that, I want to look to Ephesians chapter 4, which is a sister passage of what we just read. Ephesians chapter 4, and you can turn there. The bulk of what we're going to be talking about is found right here in Ephesians chapter 4. Like always, there are more verses that could explain this, and that is for you to study all week. Glean more, grow deeper into the message this week and or the weeks following. But as we do that, let's ask God to bless his word this morning and help us to focus on his word. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time, that we would glean from your word, from you, that we wouldn't glean from a good message that's just well thought out or well prepared because, Lord, I know that I could always do more. I could always make it easier. Um, Lord, there's all these things that I, I think about all the time. But Lord, I know that this simply isn't about me. This is about you. This is about what you desire us to know about you. Help us in that process this morning. May your spirit teach us. May we not be distracted by things. But Lord, may we have you in full view of our, in our mind as we listen to your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, you know the whole book of Ephesians is really the blueprint of the life that we have because of God's work, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. We have this new life and we get to chapter 4 and it's all about application. Verse 17, he starts off for our text this morning and he says this, It's all one section, all the way down to verse 24, one main thought. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of their heart. They have become callous, And they have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practices of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Exclamation point. That's not the way you've learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and its corrupt thought, its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We see this idea that we've been talking about our heart is that everything in discipleship has to do with our heart. Our hope, it begins with our heart. Our our change, it begins from our heart. It's not about the outward adorning of things. That's what the Israelites did. That's what a lot of religions do. It's all about the outward adorning of things. It's all the things that you do in life. But the reality is it all goes back to our heart. It goes back to a birth point. It goes back to a central focus. And that's where our hope comes from. We've talked about the work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God. It all goes back and realize that our hope is in the gospel. The gospel is our hope. 
We've talked about that for years, that everything is about the gospel. The gospel isn't just that work that God did to save you, and now the gospel's done. The gospel is supposed to be picked up every single day. The gospel is our hope. In fact, if in Colossians 3, we read, but if you go back to Colossians chapter 2, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 21 and 23, it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, talking about Christ's death on the cross, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard and which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. We know in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul shares the same thing, that the gospel is the power of God. It's the power of his righteousness that is in your life. It's not about our righteousness, it's about the righteousness of Christ. Our hope comes from the gospel. If you're struggling with being a disciple of Christ, or you're just you're 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 having a hard time in changing. You're having a hard time with problems in your life. You have a, there is hope, and the hope begins and starts with the work of God through the gospel, the good news of what He did for you, and it continues. That hope continues. If you go back. To verse 5 in Colossians 1, he says, Because of the hope that has been laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel. The truth of our hope has been laid up in heaven. Our hope is in the work of Christ, what he did for us when he saved us, and he's continuing to do for us today. Romans 15.4 goes on to talk about this hope. He says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures you might have hope. We know of this hope because of what was written in the scriptures to point us to Christ. We have hope. And Ephesians 1, verse 17 through 18, continues to on this idea and theme. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of the revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you were called, that we might know this good news, that we might know Christ. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, has been implanted into our life, into our heart, into our soul, into our inner being, that we might know the hope that we have in which we've been called. And he says, what are the riches and glorious inheritance in the saints? We see two aspects that give us hope. There's two aspects that help us to understand what, the, what we've just read in all of these verses. And that is the first one is truth. Truth and then Grace, truth and grace. If we were to sum up the gospel, we can, uh, I know that these aren't the only two aspects of the gospel. We can break out the gospel into some really big theological points. But here are two basic things that help us with this understanding of our hope. The truth is we are sinners. We are depraved. By nature, 
we are sinful. There is nothing good in us. No, not one, the Bible says in Romans 3, right? The gospel points us and gives us hope because we realize the truth. If you don't realize the truth of who we truly are in the eyes of God, then we do something. We try to cover up ourselves, right? We try to make ourselves look good. But if we don't know the truth about ourselves, then guess what happens? We work hard to make other people believe we're really good. That's tiring. That is hopelessness. Every, for everything that you do to cover yourself up, as soon as you go out and do anything, the, the, our horrible sin nature pops out and makes you unclean. Right? It, you spin your wills in vanity, trying to be good. But the truth is that our hope is in Christ because he is our good. The truth is we're not good, but God is good. We need that goodness. That is the power of the gospel. That is a truth. When we really realize who we are, then we see God clearly for who he is. That brings us to the grace. We've been provided. God provides what we can never do for ourselves. He provides us life, true life, true goodness, his righteousness to cover up, to forgive us of all of our sins. We are not right. We're not good because of in and of ourselves. We are good because of his work. That's grace. When we are trying to live good and we are ignoring who God is, we live this hopeless, religious, spinning all the plates kind of life and we're not enjoying the grace that's been given to us. Do you notice in the Bible, you'll hear a lot of truth and grace. You'll hear those two things synonymous with one another. We have to have truth and grace. You'll hear also truth and love and how we respond to things. The reason we have hope is because of Christ, because of the gospel, because we've been justified through the work of Christ, not redeemed by our good works, but by the works on the cross in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we need to know. We need to have that as our focus. Is when you wake up, do you have hope for the day? If you carry the gospel with you, yes, you're going to think correctly to enjoy in graciousness, what God has given you for the day, even the hardships, even the problems. The gospel is our hope. And because of the gospel, we've been given something that helps us to change. And that's found in our text in Ephesians chapter 4. And we see right down in verse 20. But, what, but that is not the way you have learned Christ. It's hard to tell, but the whole point of this section in Ephesians 4 is to learn Christ. In the Greek, it's much easier to see as you outline it um, in, in traditional 
outlining methods, you know, noun, verb, direct object, and you go through the Greek, it's very much easier to see. But this whole point is, is it's amazing, but I've, I've studied this passage over and over, and a lot of times I don't look at it in the Greek, I just read it, right? And we get this idea, it's like, well, if I'm going to change, I've got to do a bunch of things in order to change. And we bog ourselves down with doing a lot of things, and we, we worry ourselves to death about change. And a lot of times we are carrying hopelessness with us in the process of change. And we get saddened by the fact that we are trying to change, trying to change, trying to change, and then we do the thing that we're trying to change again. And we get bummed. We get sad. We get, we, we get shameful. We, 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 you know, we don't want to be around people. Here's the thing is, have you ever noticed people that are like, I'm going, I'm, I've been a disciple of Christ or I've been discipled by this person. Maybe you've discipled somebody for years, right? And they've never changed. You're like, why? Paul's getting to the point here when he says, but that is not the way you've learned Christ. That's the point. Learning Jesus is the answer for change. The Greek word for learning Jesus or learning is, the word is, was used to, to be accustomed with something, to be more accustomed with something. The idea is to be accustom yourself uh, to something, to experience that thing, to learn, to know that thing, to understand, to receive direction from that thing. You notice... That whole idea in the Greek culture was to become, to take yourself from one custom and then put yourself into something else that becomes your custom. To change customs, to change direction, to change what you fixed your life on, to fix your life on something new, new understanding. Here's the real basic key to all change. There are no four-step plans. There's no 12-step plans. There's no, this is it. It's real simple. It's all about Christ. Learn Jesus is the answer for change. And that's, that's the reality here. Jesus isn't a step in the process of change. Rather, he is the process. Jesus changes us. He changes you. He changes the church. He changes everything. Jesus is the answer for all of it. He's not, he's not just, you know, add Jesus to your life plus all these other things. It's Jesus. Now, I want you to take me serious here because you're saying, well, yeah, that's like the standard five-year-old answer in Sunday school, right? It's Jesus, right? If, if you ask a kid, you know, what's the most important thing? Jesus. You know, it's like, what's the best thing for your life? Jesus. Who saves from sin? Jesus. It's like, you know, if you want to, you know, sound spiritual, you always answer Jesus. I don't want you to be cynical and say, okay, pastor's getting really simplistic, and, but there is so much more to this answer, Jesus. Learning Jesus is a full-time commitment. It's a full-time focus. 
It's not Jesus and all these other things in your life that will produce change. It's Jesus. If you're relying on people in the church to change you, you're going you're gonna to get into trouble real fast because we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. You're gonna, somebody is going to do something you don't like if, if, or they're going to go in a different direction that you like. If your focus is anything else in the church, you're going to start comparing you're going to compare people. You're going to compare other churches. You're going to compare. But if everything is about Jesus, none of those other things really matter. Change happens from learning, that's active learning, Jesus. By the way, in the verb to learn Jesus the idea here, the adverb the, to learn Jesus is a continual action. It's what you receive when God saves you and what you continue to do every aspect of your life. It's so much more. If you notice in verses 17 through 24, as we read it, it's a lot of times in your, in your Bible, it's, it's one paragraph, it's one main thought. It's the same way in the Greek. In fact, it's it's only three sentences in the Greek. It's broken up in, in because of English translation. We talked about that last week about translation. They break it up into more sentences, but it's really only three. And it's unified in one main thought. And the main thought is driven by learning Jesus. Let me give you an illustration. It's, you know how it's, a lot of times we, you know, you go to a river. Have you ever been to a river and you got to get to the other side if you've backpacked or I've backpacked through mountains on, uh, up on the Pacific Crest Trail or I've backpacked up in the mountains with youth group. I've taken them uh, before, not this youth group, but I've taken other youth groups. I've, you know, I've gone hunting and we've backpacked. We have to get to the other side, right? So what do you do is you look for, you know, different stepping stones to step on. And you go and you're like, you know, and, and usually the leader, you know, the wiser one, you send him first. So that way, you know, so the, the kids don't fall in the river and, you know, the packs weigh them down and, and they get into trouble real fast. You don't want that to happen. So the leader tests everything. And if it, the leader's good, you take your pack off and you test everything first. Then you put your pack back on and get across. Or you throw your pack across if you can. Um, I've done that before. Um, and you do all these things, right? The, the idea here in what God is telling us is literally you are here on this platform of living in sin and your job is to jump from here and now Christ has died for your sins and he's given you a new platform. Stand on that platform. There's not this like two, three, four, five step process. It's Get off this platform and get on that platform and learn Christ. It's not this process of do all these different things and you'll change. It's get off of one, get on the other. That's his point. There isn't, he isn't a step in the process. He's the step, the only one. It's get off of your former life and be on the new life. In fact, he said that, do you notice if you look at the, it's hard to see, but if you go past verse 20, it says, 
But what is, that's not the way that you've learned Christ, assuming, and he explains that, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him. And you notice there's not a period, there's a, there's a comma, as the truth is in Christ. It's in Jesus. Comma, it's in Jesus to what? The truth is in Jesus to put off the old self. And then he explains what the old self is again. And then, and, verse 23, is connected to the truth that is in Jesus to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our truth comes from Christ. When you, when you learn Christ, when you're learning Christ, when you're in Christ, that's where the truth is. The truth is that helps you take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes, the new life. It's in Christ. Everything flows out of that. And that's the idea here is, is that learning Jesus is how you put off the sinful life. That is the same idea as repenting, to turn from your sin and look to Christ, and to put on the new life of holiness, which is faith, our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ. Truth is in Jesus. There's no period, there's a comma. And it flows because of that, everything flows out of that. He's not saying you must learn Christ and learn the truth that's in him and boom, and now put on this and now take off this. It's not this, 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 this. It's learn Christ. That's how you put off and put back on. He's saying this. He's saying repentance and faith aren't over here, outside of Christ, they're in Christ. They're part of the truth that is in Christ, which means if you want to grow in holiness, if you want to be discipled and change, you want your problems to change, you want the things in your life to change, don't just say, I need to, yeah, I know, I need to repent of my sin, and I need to just trust Jesus more. No, you need to learn Jesus. Learn him. When you learn him, you will repent. When you learn him, you will have the faith that comes from Christ. Learning, to, learning Jesus is to look to him. Where are you looking? I've often said this in different counseling sessions or with different people. Is it's like, well, what is your focus in your life? What are you looking at? Many times we're doing this and we're looking at everything and we're distracted by so many different things. When we're dealing with the problems in our life, we have all of these other things. We're trying to, we got to get all these things lined up in life. No, no, no. We need one focus. We need Jesus to be our focus. You know, when we focus on Jesus, so many times we're like, if I just do this, 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 I'll have a better life with Jesus. And that, in truth, is how often a lot of people come to church. That's how a lot of, of religions are. If I just do all these good things, that'll appease the Lord, and I'll just have these good things. I'll be better. No, just learn Christ. Put your mind and your focus. Look at him. When you're busy looking and learning Christ, guess what you're not doing? Learning and looking at sin. And we learned it in one of our Union with Christ principle in, in Sunday school. If you've been in our adult Sunday school class, 
We did a study with Sinclair Ferguson on union with Christ. And the illustration is by virtue of the fact is if you are looking to Christ, if you're looking at him, you're learning from Christ, then you're turning from those other things. You're not even focused on them. You won't do them. Heart change happens because of Christ. Our life changed. The root of all our problems in our life changed because of Christ. Because we're so focused on him that we say that none of those other things are important. There's a lot of things I don't do in my life. And it's not because I'm a pastor. Uh, that whole idea of almost got me kicked out of our, our fostering class you know, Nisa was kicking me under the table because they were like, tell us about yourself and what you do and what's important to you. And I was like, gospel moment. I was like, oh, I was excited. They just set me up. I was like, hey, we're in this fostering class because we love, I love the Lord. I'm a pastor. Not, and, and I'm going to talk about the Lord all the time. In my house, we talk about the Lord because of what Christ did for me when he died on the cross for us. I got up and I'm talking about all these things. And I'm saying, I, and, and it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I love Christ and what he's done for me. And, and I'm, like, I'm like, we're either all in in the foster care and adopting or we're out. <laughs> and these two ladies that were in charge came up to me and said, it's so refreshing just to hear somebody talk about what they believe and not worry about what people think. Both of them not believers. Both of them lesbian. And they did, they gave us a reference form and did it because our family's reference form weren't coming fast enough so we could start doing foster care. There's something about just glorifying God and not worrying about the rest. It's not that I didn't get into trouble. Oh, yeah, I, I, I put my foot in my mouth a lot. It happens. you got to look to Christ. That's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 12, by the way. We get so focused on, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great, great cloud of witnesses, we talk about this great cloud of witnesses, by the way, which is not this great cloud of witnesses that are in the sky. It's a great cloud of witnesses that came in Hebrews 11. That's a whole other uh, hermeneutical thing that we can talk about later. If you don't know what hermeneutics is, it's just to study, how to study the written word. Uh, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us and we get so focused on let us and let us and let us and that, all these let us things and we miss the whole point which is verse 2. Looking to Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who set for the joy set before him endured the cross. Look to Jesus, who endured the cross, despising the shame. So look to Jesus and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he, look at verse 3. He starts, consider who? Consider your sin that you need to take off. Consider all the things that you must do in your life. No, consider him who endured. Why do we consider that? Why do we look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith? Because he did everything. We need to consider him. He endured everything. We have hope in him. We can change because of him. Learning Jesus means that we look to him. It also means 
that learning Jesus is to come to him. Right? Matthew eleven twenty nine. we've talked about that a lot. Discipleship isn't a set of truths and principles to live by. A lot of times we make discipleship, but, you know, just learn this, learn this, learn this, you'll be a good Christian. That's why a lot of people don't change. Discipleship is a walk with God, learning the person of God. Many times we learn that as we go through, and I've talked with a lot of people, I learned that their view of God is skewed or their view of Jesus is skewed. And it changes their life. And it creates a lot of problems in our life. Matthew eleven twenty nine, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my burden is light. Right? But why don't a lot of, a lot of people, they quote that, like, yeah, you know, it's like, I'm going to take on Jesus' yoke and that burden, because his burden is light, and I agree, I trust that, but they, they know that is truth, but they stop there. In the end of the verse, what does it say? It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. We're like, oh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to come to Jesus. We, have, we all have these come to Jesus moments, right? And we're like, I'm going to come to Jesus. And, and I want the rest, I want the rest. And we focus on the rest part, but we don't focus on the come to Jesus. We just keep doing whatever we want to do in life. There's a massive difference, by the way, learning Christ or coming to Christ, learning Christ. There's a massive difference between learning about Jesus and learning Jesus. So many times we want the the Sunday school lesson or we want the children's church lesson. We want to know about Jesus because, you know, he's he's good. I like Jesus. He's all about love. He's all about this. We we hear people say, oh, yeah, I like that Jesus. So I ask questions. What Jesus are you talking about? Right? We all we want to hear about Jesus until they f- hear that Jesus talked a lot about hell. You know, he talked more about hell than he did love, which is interesting. The world doesn't know that for some reason. But anyway, so they don't want to hear that. That Jesus, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus is over here. Right? They want to know, uh, they want to learn things about Jesus, and then they're gonna accept only what they like and not the whole Jesus. They don't want to learn. Jesus. There's a difference between learning about and learning him. And here's the thing is why have you ever thought why don't people ever change? Why don't they never why don't they just drop everything and come to Jesus and lay everything down at Jesus' feet? Why do people struggle with that? In fact, Jesus went on to say in John 635, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. But they don't come to him. Why? It's because they know a lot about Jesus, but they never learn him specifically. By the way, here's a principle here that Jesus teaches. If you come to him, then you learn him. If you learn him, guess what you'd constantly do? Come to him. It's a vicious circle. It's a great circle to be in. By the way, wheels are circular, right? And if you have a flat tire, what doesn't happen? If your tire's flat, you don't tend to go anywhere, right? You, you want circular wheels. They get you places. 
to get you from point A to point B. To learn Jesus is to come to Jesus. There's this other aspect is learning Jesus, Jesus changes how we think. How we think. Colossians 3, we read this passage earlier in verses 8 through 10. Verse 10 specifically, he tells us, but you must put away all these things. And he gets to verse 10. He says, you know, don't do this, don't do that. He says, and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Do you notice after the image of its creator, learning Christ? By the way, because you go back to chapter 1, we see that he is the creator of all things. Jesus is God. And we know that Jesus, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to learn him so much that our thinking, our knowledge of, is being renewed daily after his image. Does that take an intense focus? Yeah, have you ever tried to make yourself look like somebody else? How long does it take you in the mirror? Right? It's like, okay, do I have the right clothes on? Do I have the right, you know? You, you watch. Have you ever watched that time lapse of somebody changing themselves from one person to another to look like somebody else? It's fun. The makeup and, and all that they do in, in Hollywood, it's, it's crazy to watch like this thing. They take, sometimes they'll take, you know, like six to seven hours just to transform somebody to look for, by one thing to another. And they have to stare at that for, and they sit there little after little, every little thing to, to make it look perfect, right? There's that intensity that, that we see here in this verse. Or how about 2 Peter 1.3? His divine power, this is God's divine power, has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through this knowledge. We know they're all people who have head knowledge about Christ or about God. They have all this knowledge of what you know the Bible says, but we don't change. It's because it's all our knowledge of Christ leads to holy living. It's not knowledge about Christ. You know, if you need to change the way you think and you're struggling in your thought life and the way that your emotions or you're struggling with things as a, and you're like, I need to change the way I think, learn Christ. The more you know Christ and you learn him, the more your knowledge is renewed every day. All of our knowledge of Christ, by the way, is personal and intimate. It's in the heart. There's no knowledge of Christ that is just facts or information. Christ didn't tell us about him to be fact and just informational. It meant to be transformational, personal. All our knowledge of him brings us into fellowship with an actual person, the actual person of Christ. As a church... We gather for the sole purpose, our purpose, to be a discipling church, to be a fruit-bearing church, to bear fruit, 
to allow the Holy Spirit to change people around us. And all of this, as a church, we gather for the sole purpose to learn Christ. Every truth you learn should be learning Christ. Every truth is is about him, whether it's in song, whether it's the Lord's Supper, whether it's about the gospel, whether it's a sermon, whether it's reading scripture, a ministry of the church, whether it's in the building, outside of this building, whether it's in your home or outside your home, it's all about learning Christ. We are to grow continually in knowing him personally, to be intimate with him. That's what the gospel does. That's why we have hope, because the gospel every day reminds us of the truth about ourselves, the truth of God, and remind us that we have grace that we can live in for the day, that he will supply us in our weakness everything that we need. As he told Paul, I'm not removing this thorn in your flesh because my grace is sufficient for you. That's living in the gospel every day. Everything we do as a Christian is in Christ. If you keep going backwards in Colossians from 3 to 2, you'll notice that walking in Christ, he says we're to walk in Christ, we're supposed to labor in Christ, we're supposed to live in Christ, we're supposed to obey Christ, we're supposed to die in Christ. Die to what? Die to this world. In Christ, we're able to die to the world. We don't desire the world. And he says we're conquerors in Christ. All in chapter 2, Colossians 2. Everything we do is in Christ. And then he, he caps that whole idea off in verse 17 we read in Colossians 3. Everything we do, whether in word or deed, it's, it's because of Christ. It's to glorify the Lord. Here's the conclusion of all of this. I, I forgot I had that up there. Walk in Christ, labor in Christ, live in Christ, obey Christ, die in Christ, conquer in Christ. By the way, that die in Christ is dying to ourselves and being alive in him. Everything's in Christ. You see that same thing in Ephesians 1. In Philippians, it's all about Christ, right? Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, one thing I do is I forget my past and I, I'm singular focus. I'm agonizing for Christ, to know Christ, right? It's all about Christ. Here's the thing, is we need Jesus at the beginning, at the end, and throughout our whole life. It's, it's very simple. 1 Corinthians 1.30, as he, Paul starts off this letter that, that, the, that God gave him to give to the Corinthian church that had began to make everything in church about the culture around them. It began to change everything about the church. It was no longer about Christ. And he said these these words in verse 30. He says, and because of him, because of Christ, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The beginning and the end and our whole entire life. Our sanctification, our ability to change and to become more like Christ is in Christ. It's in Jesus. Jesus just isn't just our redemption. He isn't just the forgiveness of our sins, but he is our everything. 
you're struggling with change, learn Christ. And that's really the question is, do you believe you can change? Maybe you've been struggling in that. Do you believe that, that your problems can change? Do you believe that your life can change? Do you believe it's all because of learning Christ? Don't get caught up in all these programs. Just do this, this, and this, and get busy about spinning a bunch of plates. Go back and just learn Christ. Because what he's telling us here is that our sanctification is, our change in life is wrapped up in Christ. The power to change has nothing to do. It's not within ourselves as far as ourselves. It's not in the world. It's wrapped up in Christ. He is our motor to change. He is our encouragement to change. He is our hope to change. He is our purpose in life. You don't move past Christ into other things to be a stronger Christian, to be a better, stronger, more mature Christian. You don't move past Christ. You move with Christ. As he moves, you move. But rather, you just go deeper into knowing him. This morning, I, I pray, and that's my hope and that desire, that I took you past that, that, that five-year-old Typical answer. All you need is Jesus. I was walking out of getting my hair cut Tuesday. He, they, the guy knows I hate being called Reverend, so that's the first thing he calls me, Reverend. A new believer in Christ. He just got saved just recently. And we're sitting there cutting hair, and he goes, he, and he, goes um, he yelled out, Jesus loves me. And I'm like, yep, this I know. You laugh. And we're talking about it's, it's everything in our life is Jesus. It's everything. And he's like, yeah. And, I mean, it's full. There's like 20 people in there. We're having fun. It's kind of my new witnessing ground. <laughs> but it's crazy. It's, it's all about Christ. We don't just go past Christ. That's the danger in discipleship is we just, yep, I'm saved now I need more things. Give me the more things to be a better disciple. You know how those more, those more things come? Only through knowing Jesus deeper. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, so that you can fulfill the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we struggle with people? Why do we have problems? The majority of our problems are always people. Because we're sinners. The only way to get over that is Christ. When we love God with all our heart, it changes us. We see people differently. We see ourselves differently. We see God differently. Right? Our, our viewpoint changes. This is what we do. We're like, I, I just, I, Pastor, I'm really struggling in this passage. I just don't see it. And I'm like, put Jesus back on. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I can see it, <laughs> right? It's like I, all week, I was like, oh, that's right. I'm blind as a bat. I was just, like, I forgot to bring my glasses. I was calling my wife this morning. Bring my glasses. Oh, wait, I found them. They're on the floorboard of my truck. <laughs> we do that all the time with Jesus. Cast them aside. Hey, wait a minute. I, I got a problem. It's like, we got to put those glasses on and keep them on. 
Learn Jesus. And you will take off the old self, the old way of thinking, and you'll put on our new life in Christ and the new way of living. He'll change that in you. It comes through Christ. Know him. That's our challenge as we talk about discipling. Next week, we're back in Romans. Romans chapter 6, which is all about sanctification. (laughs) Being changed to be into the image of Christ. It's a great segue. Lord, I thank you for what you do in our life. It's not about us. We hear that a lot. It's become a new common theme around here. But the reality is this, is we need to learn you more. How do we change? It's not by doing more. It's not by getting, you know, professional help in all these things. Yes, we need people to encourage us, but it's only as good as we are in Christ. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just trust each other because we like each other or because we like what personalities or we like what they do in life, but Lord, that we would disciple and encourage one another because we are being encouraged directly from you. Lord, may we look for disciplers in our life to disciple, to encourage us because they are looking at you. All they care about is you. If you are struggling today and you're like, I need somebody, I need encouragers in my life. Lord, I pray that you appoint people to other people who make much of Christ, who are all about you, who want to know you, Lord. Not just good people, but Lord, people who follow a great God, who love you with all their heart. Lord, maybe somebody here in their heart, they realize that they've known much about Christ and much about God, but they have no personal relationship. They don't know. They really are not experiencing Christ. Lord, I pray that your spirit would do that work in their heart, prompting them to realize that they're not saved. They're not going to heaven just because they have facts and they say, yeah, I think that's true. I've seen the Bible match up with lots of archaeology or science. But Lord, that they would simply see the need for Jesus and turn their life over to you. Lord, it begins with you and what you've done for us. They simply repent and believe and trust you. May they know you this morning. Open up their hearts and call them to yourself. May they simply acknowledge that this morning and turn their life to you, whether they're watching, listening this morning, or they're here. May we be about that this month, prepping our community to hear about you, to learn you, not to learn that First Baptist is a nice church and they love our community, but may they turn the corner and say, well, they really love Jesus. May that be our goal this year, that our community would know that we love Jesus, that we make much of him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.